Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Catherine May and welcome to a very special in-between episode of my podcast. Today I've got a really brilliant interview with the author Susan Kane for you. She's one of my heroes but there's a slight problem with it. Our recording cut out halfway through and we've done everything we can to rescue it but we couldn't. So I'm going to offer you two things today. 50% of an interview with Susan Kane, which is still good, very good, because she's amazing. And only I will know what's left unsaid and Susan. But I hope you'll enjoy that. But before then, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the way that the wintering sessions is about to transform Over the last few months, it's been undergoing a process of metamorphosis, a little wintering of its own, if you like, because it was time for it to change a bit. I began the wintering sessions in the middle of a lockdown, feeling isolated and feeling like I was really missing those rich, meandering conversations that I so often had with other creative people in the before times. And so I set up the podcast to do just that, to have those chats, to meet like-minded writers and to really get down and dirty with the topic of what it's like to live in this very complicated, difficult world. And I think Partly I feel like the wintering sessions 
has done all it needs to do and it's time for it to transform. But I also wanted to be able to ask bigger questions. And so that's why I'm here to tell you you'll start getting a podcast with a different name that has a lot in common with the wintering sessions. It'll be called How We Live Now. And it's a podcast that's about finding pathways through this post-everything world. There goes the dog. (laughs) So much has happened to us over the last three years, five years, ten years. And I feel like we're all reeling. We're all trying to make sense of how we think about life now and how we act in the world And so How We Live Now will come in a series of mini-seasons, I'm going to call them drops, of about six episodes where I ask the same question to a variety of people from different perspectives. So, for example, the first mini-season that you've got coming soon will ask, how can we come back together again? And I'm going to be inviting some spiritual perspectives on that, some sociological perspectives, some political perspectives and some very practical ones too, as well as bringing the arts and folklore into the mix. For me, that's how we need to approach these big questions, not through one method, but through many, to pull out the complexity, the texture the uncertainty. And so my aim for these conversations is that they are just that. They're a two-way process. They're an exploration. They're not about any one person telling you that they've got it all figured out. Because I think if we haven't learnt by now that those people are the last people we should listen to, then we never will. I also want to find better ways to integrate your voices into the podcast. So from now on, there'll be opportunities to feed in your answers to the questions that we're talking about, your responses, your further questions, your knowledge, your understanding, your queries. I hope you're as excited about it as I am. I've been working really hard on it. And you'll be able to see today the fantastic new artwork accompanies the podcast anyway that'll be coming to you in a couple of weeks time i hope you enjoy it i'll still be taking you on little walks with me and maybe other adventures too at the beginning and end of every episode so it won't stray too far away from the wintering sessions so here we are in something in between the last of the wintering sessions and perhaps a gateway into how we live now with my interview with Susan Kane. Enjoy all curtailed glory of it. And I'm going to see you very soon. Bye. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Susan, welcome to the Wintering Sessions. I'm thrilled to have you on here. And I need to start by telling you, if this won't embarrass you horribly, that Quiet had, I mean, a really very significant role in my life because I read it before my autism diagnosis and realised for the first time that I was an introvert and not an extrovert, which is exactly what I thought I'd been. Like, if, if you'd have asked me... I'd have said, yeah, I love parties. I love other people. Yeah, I'm so energised by working in a team. And I read your book and had this, I mean, not to put it too delicately, like almost this like, oh, fuck moment of <laughs> I am not what I thought I was at all. And I went and spoke to a colleague about it. And he said, yeah, you're a total extrovert. I can just see the energy draining out of you as we sit in a meeting every time. And I was like, what, seriously? And if I hadn't have had that revelation, I would not have been able to get my autism diagnosis because it was like the beginning of the dominoes falling. It was like the beginning of me realising that I had told myself a story about myself that wasn't true and that I could never cope with. But I'd found like a different way to explain every different time that I couldn't cope. And there's a bit in The Electricity of Every Living Thing, which is my memoir about that that journey, where a friend, after I told her I was autistic, a friend said to me, that's why you disappear at parties every time. And I was like, what? And she said, every single time we have been to an event together, you have vanished halfway through the evening. And I realised that, yeah, I, I was totally doing that. And I'd, every time I'd said to myself, you know, like, oh, I had a headache or, oh, I just didn't get on with that person. And I would literally go and hide under the coats in the, the bedroom, you know, or like lock myself in the bathroom. And so, yeah, it was, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but it was, it's a, it was a cultural moment, I think. Is that true for you? Do you feel that love? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, thank you so much for for sharing your story. And um, yeah, I guess I, I, I do hear stories like that <laughs> a lot. And the amazing thing to me is how could it be that mm. so many thousands or probably millions of people go around feeling like they're the only ones who feel this way or like mm. in your case, constructed a whole alternate reality in order to not feel that way. Um, like, how could it be that everybody, when there are so many of us, that's the really striking thing to me, you know, it, mm. like that we know from the statistics that it's yeah a third to a half of us who are introverted. But I also now know, you know, from the heart, like by which I mean, like all the letters I get and the stories that people tell me of mm. just so many countless people who are all walking around, you know, like at parties, going to the bathroom and thinking they were the only ones. And I'm <laughs> and sure you've had the experience the <laughs> and locking the door. And have you had the experience since then of like, now you probably go to parties and you're like, oh yeah, there's that person like on the side of the room, <laughs> yeah. looking, looking at the books on the bookshelf or like, you know, having the deep conversation with just one other person over mm. there on the sofa, you know, and now you see it everywhere. I've made great friends that way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Those are my favorite parties. 
It's really nice. I mean, I was at a publishing event a couple of years ago and I realised that I did not want to be in the crowd. And so I stood at the back and got chatting to this wonderful woman and we're, we're still friends now. And I, I kind of, it makes me feel sad, I guess. I mean, it makes me feel massively sad that I couldn't address my own needs for the longest time. And that, that's maybe a bigger story than just not enjoying social events. But what makes me sad is that the message I heard all through my life is it's good to be somebody who works in a team like it's good to be somebody who is stimulated by loads of people and being busy and rush and hurry and noise and it's not only good to be that that's just not the truth and I could have spent some time working on my personal you know skills and aptitudes which is burrowing into deep thought and deep research and that's what I'm good at. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And but but really for so long the only message really was that mm. this is the only way, you know, to be good and powerful and sociable and loving and uh, productive and successful and yeah. all the rest of it, you know, all through this one one mode of being as opposed mm. to recognizing many different modes of being, all those things. Did you always know that that was the way that you preferred to do things? Like, did you have a better awareness of of your preferences? Mm, I think I was aware of my preferences, yes, but I didn't feel good about them. Mm. You know, I, I, I was always questioning them and thinking that I should be a different, it would be better if I were a different type of person. Yeah. So yeah, I knew what the preferences were, but it would have been better not to have them. <laughs> it yes. was something like that. <laughs> they weren't welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, going through all of that thing that so many introverts do of trying to turn yourself inside out, you know, to be yeah. to be more yeah. extroverted and more out there than really came naturally to me. I mean, mm. I did, I did, and I do come from a family that is all introverts. I'm probably the most extroverted person in my family of origin. So mm. I did grow up with many positive role model examples of introverts, you know, like my father was a really great doctor and medical school professor. And he was the one, he was a gastroenterologist and he was the one you would go to if you couldn't figure out the diagnosis. He Mm. he often could. And, And it was very clear to me that the reason he was so good at what he did was because he would come home every day after work and pour over medical journals for hours. You know, he'd go to the medical conferences and sit in the front row with a tape recorder and, you know, get everything down and then listen to it over and over until he had absorbed everything. And, you know, so it was this like real orientation of serious scholarly study often done in solitude. Mm. Um, So it it was like super clear to me that connection, you know, my grandfather who's a rabbi, he was so incredibly wonderful and, and beloved within a community, which is a pretty extroverted role, mm. but he was very quiet and soft-spoken and gentle. That was right. just his way of being in the world. So I did, I, I had all these role models, but I think it took me a long time to put two and two together. Um, yeah. Between. To realize it was a, a thing really, like a something that united you. Yeah. Yeah. I always laugh about this in my family because I think we're split pretty much down the middle. Like my grandma was very, very introverted, but my granddad was a total social butterfly and he used to get so desperate for social contact that he would literally stand outside on the pavement and talk to people that walked past. Wow. Because <laughs> he was so 
desperate. And he'd stand at the bus stop and just help people off the bus with their with their bags and their prams just just for a chat. And he would go and stand in the local kind of mini market and uh, and load people's carrier bags because <laughs> he just was like he was sick of our nonsense of all our reading. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is so fascinating. But you know what? You know what's so funny about that? Just today, like literally, I think just before we got on this call, I was reflecting about the following thing that, so um, we have two kids, they're 12 Mm. and 14, two boys, and they just went off to summer camp for the first time. And it's this thing in the US, I don't know if you have it in the UK, but like where they go for seven weeks. Oh, wow. Big thing. Yeah. Well, we, we, we see about your summer camps. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. massive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is their first time. So we've literally like never been away from them for more than like a night or two, if they have a school trip or something, but you know, they're off and, and the way these camps work, you can't really communicate with them. So it's like, they've disappeared into some other dimension. Wow. Yeah. And, and so it's just my husband and me now. And I, I just came back from playing tennis right before we talked and my my husband was there when I got in and we chatted about something or other. And I, and I was reflecting of like, oh my gosh, like what if he weren't here either for a really long time? Even I, like I'm the biggest introvert <laughs> and I need so much solitude, but even I would get to the point where I would be like your, was it your grandfather, you know, yeah, like helping yeah. people off the bus. Like I, I, yes. I would, I would go and just like walk around until I found someone to chat with. Even for yeah. me, that would happen. <laughs> So that makes me like able, I guess, to understand what it must be like for somebody like him who just feels that way all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I mean, he was just the most kind of lively, friendly person and just loved people. Whereas, you know, we, like the other half of the family are, are the ones that when the phone rings, we're all like, who the hell is that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what can they possibly want from us? It's, really, it's a very marked difference. And so actually, um, it makes me really curious to know how was the deep part of the pandemic for you? How was how were like lockdowns and self-isolations? Well, I mean, I guess because of, yeah, I, I, I thought about everything we just said. I thought about it in that, that context too, mm, because mm. I was locked down with my husband and my kids, I kind of felt like my social needs were met. I mean, the thing I minded the most was of all my life or not all my life, but since my thirties gone pretty much every single day to a cafe. And, you know, I sit in a sunny cafe Mm -hmm. window with my laptop and my latte and write or do my work or whatever. And it really is kind of like my favorite thing that I do all day. And, um, you know, and I stopped doing that. And so I, I had to switch to working at home and that was a gigantic adjustment, though, obviously a very minor Mm -hmm. one in all things considered. Um, but anyway, all, all of that's to say, like, I did not really mind the disappearance of social life mm. because I happened to be living in a family unit at the time. But I was thinking, you know, had I been in my 20s and single or yeah, in my yeah, you know, 70s different. and widowed or something like that, I think it would have been incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, I lost my father and my brother to COVID. So that was like a whole other yeah, separate thing. Wow. But I'm, I'm just talking about the, you know, the, yeah, sure. the social isolation aspect. Yeah. What, what about what about you? Well, yeah, I, I think very much like you, I actually felt like a huge sense of relief about all of the things that I didn't have to go out and do, to be honest. But I mean, two observations, <laughs> I think, come to mind. One is that my husband, who is has never been a talker, got really desperate for social contact during lockdown. And there was this moment of mismatch where I was like, don't you talk a lot? 
<laughs> I mean, we've been we've been together for twenty six years. Like, it's never, I've never had more than ten words out of him on a single day before. But wow. but it was yeah, it was so interesting to see him get to the point where he was just desperate for conversation, and I was like still not ready for it. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I did reach my limit later on, and it was. Do you know what? It was about casual social contact that I missed the most. Just the kind of quick conversations at the school gate or, you know, bumping into a friend and and saying, do you want a quick coffee? Like I didn't miss the big events, but I missed the small moments of, yeah, contact, I guess. And that for me had really big creative implications. That was where I felt the pain, I guess, was Mm -hmm. like that, uh, the absence of that flow of ideas between different people and not, not in any uh, directive way but more in the sense that ideas just spark when you when you have that kind of randomness coming into your daily life oh my gosh that makes such total sense to me and i i so agree with you i don't really care for like the big social events i think they mm. could go away forever and i'd be really yeah, happy be fine. <laughs> um, yeah and i love the casual social encounters i completely agree with you mm. I, I understand it. So maybe we are both people that would wait at a bus stop and help people off the bus after all. Maybe that's what we both need. <laughs> but I don't know. That that doesn't even seem like a casual encounter, actually. It's more, I, I like the, I think there's something about, oh, I don't know, like the cafe or the, um, you know, chatting, as you said, like at the school gates where... Mm. You know it's short-lived. You're free to go, yes. but you're really <laughs> yeah. enjoying it in that moment. Yeah. And I think I think I think for me that's often the problem with more formal socializing in general that it usually just lasts too long. Like I usually really mm. really really enjoy it. Like well, you know, going out to dinner, let's say. Like I'll yeah. deeply enjoy it for the first hour and 15 minutes or hour and a half or whatever it is and then suddenly there's a feeling of like it's going on too long and and you can't make yeah and, and there's nothing to be done. Yeah, no, I I totally agree and I and for me that's often about understanding the boundaries of what's going to happen. Like there's this real fear that drops into me that this could possibly go on forever and I'll never escape it. Whereas I love those invitations that say, I don't know if you've ever seen this, I don't, I don't know if this is a British thing, but posh people in Britain will always tell you when to go home on their invitation. And it will say carriages at, like carriages at 10.30. So it's such a funny thing. Oh my gosh. Interesting. Wait, carriages at, at 10.30, that means time to leave at 10.30? Off, off like, you pop at 10.30. Bye. Oh. <laughs> so have your carriage come. I mean, you know, it's, as I say, it's deeply posh and old fashioned, but you still see it sometimes. That's so and fascinating. I'm so grateful for that. I always think, excellent. I know when I'm arriving. I know when I'm going home. I understand the scope of this thing. I know it's not going to go until three in the morning. You know? <laughs> I'm I'm all for reintroducing carriages at, is what I'm oh, saying. I have never heard that before. It is fabulous. <laughs> I'm completely picking that up and no one will know what I'm talking about over here, but that's okay. <laughs> I think I think we start here and I like if I hand out an invitation now I I just do a time scale I say 7:30 to 10:30 and hope that people pay full attention to the 10:30 there cuz I'm going to bed. <laughs> do you find that they do? Um I yes, I think so, but also I think particularly the people who know me know that I just start to zone out after a certain amount of time and 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 gather themselves up and go home, but before that, like maybe when we were younger and people used to try and hang out for longer, I used to just put myself to bed in the middle of parties. I mean, I honestly, like what else do you do? <laughs> 
I again my husband is a really late night person and likes that like long slow contact whereas I will do intense contact for a little while and then I'm exhausted and I I used to just say right everyone I'm off to bed don't worry about going or anything but I I'm done now night <laughs> not the world's greatest host ah I thought I'd stunned Susan into silence but I think she's dropped out <laughs> it's like Yes. Oh my gosh. You won't believe the boneheaded thing that I just did. So, okay. So I'm sitting in front of my laptop and I, as I told you, I'm always doing these video interviews and I was so enjoying our conversation. I was like, I don't even want to be looking at the screen. I just want, I want the screen to go away and just totally focus. So I closed my computer, completely forgetting that that would cut us off from our Zoom. <laughs> introvert problems, I think. <laughs> Make yes. it all go away. <laughs> exactly. That is so funny. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I totally understand the instinct and I would have done it myself. <laughs> um, so I think probably what you just missed is is just me like repeatedly heading off to, to bed and saying, night, night, don't worry about it. See you later. You just carry on without me. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah. And I have this one friend who I've noticed at every single party, she will leave after about an hour and a half. She, she will just graciously take her leave. She'll Amazing. like, she doesn't skulk away embarrassedly. She goes up to the host and says, thank you so much. It's been so lovely. And now, and now I have to go without oh, a brilliant. trace of embarrassment. And it really works for her. And she therefore says yes to every invitation instead of like trying to get out of them the mm. way someone else might. Um, That's so Because brilliant. she really like is respecting her own limits. And I, I don't even think she thinks about it. This is just what she does naturally. It's just, it's a real skill. And I, I'm trying to grow that skill set. And I, I feel very disrupted by the pandemic. You know, I, I'm getting into a lot of habits again. But one of the things I quite often say to people now is, thank you so much for the invitation. I love being invited, but this isn't the right thing for me. And I won't be coming. And that is such a liberation for me after years of saying, yeah, of course I'll come. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to it. And then not turning up. You know? mm, yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah. It's so yeah, much better all around. And that's a, yeah. that sounds like a very gracious way to handle it. And yeah, your friends must know it. you and understand you, right? So, Well, that's right. And honestly, if people are going to be offended by that, they're maybe not my friends. Like, then I can't be friends with someone that wants me to do something that's going to leave me deeply uncomfortable. Like it's, I guess we, we've got to both be okay about that, really. That sounds quite harsh, but. Mm, no, 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 all... it makes sense. I mean, have you ever had anyone be offended by it? I would be surprised if you had um, um, someone who yes. knew you well enough to be good friends with you. <laughs> oh, yes, okay. I have, yep. But maybe after that, I reflected that perhaps there were some other problems and imbalances with that friendship anyway. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she says very delicately. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do hear you like tiptoeing delicately down the road. But yeah. And I felt weirdly okay with that friendship ending. Mm -hmm. um, it was maybe the right thing to happen. So yeah, it's tricky. It is very, very tricky. Let's move on anyway from my complete lack of social graces. Um, I'm <laughs> No, that actually love... sounded very graceful, but well, I, um... I do my best, you know. <laughs> um, I would love to talk to you about bittersweet because I, you know, like when you've loved someone's previous book and you're like, oh God, I don't know, how am I going to feel about the new one? And within a few pages, I just thought, oh, she has hit again 
on exactly what we need to be talking about right now, which is this sense of, well, maybe I'll get you to describe it rather than me make a hash of it. Tell us what bittersweet is and means. Well, I mean, bittersweetness itself is about a kind of, well, I mean, it's certainly about bittersweet moments that we all know, you know, like walking a child down the aisle or graduation or whatever it is. But but more than that, um, or what I focus on in the book is bittersweetness as a way of being in the world. And it's a way of being that is deeply in touch with the way that joy and sorrow in this life mm must forever be paired and the way that everything is so impermanent and you know everyone we love best and everything we love best will not be here forever mm. um but what it's really about in a way is that the curious piercing joy and beauty that comes from this apprehension from this understanding yeah. um and i i first encountered this state again and again and again and again through music, because I mean, I, I love music mm. of all kinds, but I've been drawn all my life to minor key kind of yearning pieces yeah. of music and songs and, and, and had been so struck all my life by how that kind of music leaves me feeling not sad at all, but rather uplifted and connected to humanity because it's like the music is expressing this mm. state of this state of yearning and and like the sorrows that all humans have to pass through and we wish it weren't so but but we're all yeah. in it together and and so there there's just this kind of love that's unleashed by by hearing that expressed and expressed so beautifully mm. um but what i started to re- so at first i was like just trying to figure out what what's the deal with this kind of music why does it evoke these sensations but then what i started to realize is that there's this whole kind of bittersweet tradition that has yeah. been with it, that people have been talking about and thinking about for centuries all over the world. And yet we don't talk about it mm-hmm. at all in our culture, maybe in the UK and, the, and in the US for different reasons. I mean, I think in the yeah, US we yeah. don't talk about it because you know everybody just have, has to be so incredibly oh. positive and upbeat yeah. and cheerful and yeah. smiling all the time. And I think in the UK, there's a feeling of like, you shouldn't be too earnest. You should have a stiff upper lip. Mm. I don't know. You could you can tell me your take. Um, you'll you know better than I do. No, no. I I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I th- I think we're increasingly taking on the you have to be up and happy all the time thing, and I you know I think that's coming through really strongly on the social media side. You know, the kind of cheer up everyone. But yeah, we we do have that uh, sense that you don't really express much emotion at all, which I'd like to say we've defeated in our culture, but I still think it's very much there. It's still uncomfortable to us to really emote in public. And I would add to that that the reason happiness is therefore more acceptable is because happiness is actually quite a flat emotion. It's actually not a very complex emotion at all. And it's easily faked, whereas sadness has got so many layers and depths to it that it's it's much more challenging you know culturally challenging to us i think yeah that that's such an interesting insight and that makes so much sense but then you know how did you get then all the like the 19th century romantic poets 
talking about all these things. <laughs> well, I, do you like, know why, what? Why, why, why was it, it's, it's, yeah, there was that no, space carved out. Yeah, I think I think it's more culturally recent that we have. I mean, I, you know, like the, the Stipapalik thing isn't absolute, but also those romantic poets were seen as quite rebellious at the time. Like they were, they don't seem challenging at all to us now, but they they were seen as challenging at the time, and so. I guess that's kind of in line with it. But I do think in some ways, some weird ways, we've got worse rather than better. Because, you know, like the Victorians had this very fixed way of marking mourning and of uh, and, and, and actually of making space for right. mourning. Um, right, right. I mean, I can't tell you how much that has got lost in our culture now, the, the sense that it's legitimate to grieve. It's vanished. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.